Hello and welcome to Pillow Talk with Matt Vizell. Oh my God. Ethan is here and of course I am here. No. All right. I'm starting again. Hello and welcome to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. I am Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And today is an intermission edition. It is, but I, wait, Matt. Yeah. Say that number again. What number? The the number in our title. 100 Films, 100 Podcasts? Because, no, that's not what you said. What'd I say? <laughs> 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. There's a, about 100. Uh, 100 and some change. 100. 100. Welcome now, to the South. Down yeah. there in Texas. Here's a uh, hundred films for you. Texas. Now, now Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey says, all right, all right, all right. Cowboy boots. We're gonna Cows. Cut, cutting all of this out. People come <laughs> to this podcast <laughs> not for regional linguistics or dialects. They come to it for film, we assume. That, well, that's the assumption. But. That's the assumption. In any case, it's an intermission edition today. And last week, we watched a little film called Blade Runner. Blade Runner. So, we were kind of torn on this whole Blade Runner issue. Yes. And I think what we're going to do is bring on a guest today in order to help alleviate some of that. Oh, yes. We have perhaps my favorite person. Wow. Okay. I'm learning this just now. I thought I was your favorite person, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You know, whatever. No, I think you, you were missing a word. You're my least favorite Oh, I, I quit the podcast. <laughs> so today we're going to have Dr. Rich Cooper on with us. And help uh, excuse me, Dr. Rich P. Cooper. Oh, he goes with the middle initial. I don't know. I just always add that. Okay, so this is just an Ethan-sponsored <laughs> middle initial. I mean, No, I mean his middle middle initial is P. Okay, I'm I'm Matt J. Bazell, and you're Ethan, whatever the heck your middle name is. I right? have two middle names. What? Hold on. Yes. Hold the phone. Stop everything. Ethan, what are your two middle names? Uh, I don't know that I want to tell them to you. Well, you don't have a choice. We're live on the air. Well, not really live. Nope, we're live. Yeah, I don't know that I want to give all this information out. Mm, now, a lot, now a lot, I'm on of, the a lot of dead air here. I don't know. It's bad for radio. You're making me uncomfortable, Matt. You're just well, making me uncomfortable. You're the one who proffered the information. That's true. I did. Yes. Hello, and welcome to There Will Be Spoilers. I am Ethan J.H. Knight. Ethan, let's see, Ethan John Hinkelstein Knight. No, it's actually Jebediah Horowitz. Wow. No, that's not it at all. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know what to do with that information. I, I couldn't process it. I would be okay with my middle names being Jebediah Horowitz, though. Are they that much worse? Oh, no. No. Yes. We're cutting all of this out because this is nonsense talk. No, it's great. This is what the listeners People are want, going to man. open up this, this little MP3 file for the week and just get immediately, let's see, four minutes, five seconds of nonsense. This is what the public wants, Matt. And until they tell us otherwise on Twitter, tweet, tweet, or via email, I don't have a sound for that, then this is what they're going to get. 
All right, so if they wanted to tell us this is exactly what they didn't want to hear, they would tweet at us at SpoilersCast. Yes. And if they wanted to email us, they'd email us at ThereWillBeSpoilers at gmail.com. That is correct. And or they could follow us on Facebook or leave a comment at ThereWillBeSpoilers. Yes, at ThereWillBeSpoilers. This is all correct information, right? I'm not making up what our email address is. No, this is all correct. Okay, good. I mean, our email has been rather quiet the last couple weeks. No, see, yes. our email is actually spoilerscast at gmail.com. Oh, shit. Is this the problem? Is this what's going on? Have people been trying to email us? Pro- probably not. I mean, let's get real. But <laughs> that's a great narrative. I, yeah, can... I'd, I'd like to support that narrative. Yes, I would too. So what happened is we had millions of emails, and they were all sending to the wrong email address. Okay, millions. Calm down there. Millions. We have 24 followers on, on SoundCloud, so we must have millions of listeners. Makes I've crunched sense. the numbers. I've done the math. I got all my degrees mm. in advanced math. Don't you know this? Uh, well, I don't think that's true, but okay. That's not true. That's not why people listen to us. People listen to us because we are somewhat newcomers to this whole world of films, especially the AFI's top 100 list of films. And we have some education, formal and otherwise, in a lot of literary subjects. And that's why we're applying our sort of unique understanding to these lists of films. So, Ethan, today's intermission, as we mentioned, we're going to have a special guest. Before we do that, kind of want to take care of some other stuff. Uh, I want to check in with you and see what kind of films you've digested or ingested or even regurgitated this week. Mm, there was a lot of regurgitation. Mm. Regurgitation. I did not say that very well. Enunciate. I actually watched uh, Zootopia under your recommendation. Right, a couple weeks ago when we were talking yes. about the Toy Story intermission, I had recommended Zootopia to everyone. So how did you find Zootopia? Oh, it was excellent. It was a great movie. Everybody should go watch it. I really liked it and wanted to linger in that world they built just a little bit longer. I thought I was going to hate it. I definitely thought I was going to hate it. Because I liked it? Is Because I'm your least favorite person? Well, that, and I just, just didn't think it was going to be good. And it actually was... Very, very good, very prescient, and smart, really smartly done. Yeah, so I, I really enjoyed it, and like I said, recapping for people who haven't seen it still or forgot what we said about it, is that there's a lot of gender themes and also racial themes. Yeah, definitely racial themes. Uh, it's all about racial and gender equality. It's really awesome uh, and entertaining, I assume, for small children. Yeah, <laughs> I don't good. have any small children of my own, but I assume that they would enjoy it. <laughs> I think the... Maybe the one thing I wasn't so happy about that film was casting a little bit. I didn't like Jason Bateman that much. As the oh, boss. I like Jason Bateman. Maybe it's because I know he's just not a great person overall. He's not a great, like in life? In life, I've, so this is based on a few things. A couple people who have talked to him and said, like, this guy's not very cool. And then didn't he get punked by Ashton Kutcher once and, like, completely threw the person under the bus? Oh, I don't know. Figuratively speaking. I think he made a, a pretty solid ass out of himself oh. in that. And so it kind of was a window into the soul. Because gotcha. this is what they all say, right? Ashton Kutcher is a window into the soul. Right. Definitely. Okay. Do you see anything else besides Utopia? No, I don't think so. I don't think I watched anything else. I didn't watch anything else either. Film-wise, it's been a little hectic. Oh, I know what I've been watching. American Horror Story is back, Matt. Okay. I tried to watch the first episode of American Horror Story and did not like it. Well, this is how I feel about American Horror Story, Matt. The It's like your first sip of beer. 
your first sip of beer tastes like skunk juice awfulness. Okay. And then? And, and then you drink a little more, and you're like, okay, I guess I can get on board with this. And then you drink a little bit more, and you're like, ah, this actually isn't that bad. And then, you know, you drink a little bit more. And finally, you're a hipster in Portland drinking craft breweries, and life is good. So next summer, find Ethan in Portland because he is along that track. Oh, I if I could live in – Portland is Birvana. I would live in I, – I say I couldn't live in Portland because I would never get anything done. I would just drink beer all day. <laughs> I just continue to be a hipster, playing your ukulele on your on the side of the street. I know, in skinny With jeans. Your it's massive glasses. I know. But yeah, American Horror Story, you, it's, it takes – You've got to watch a couple episodes, and you've got to kind of get on board with the universe, which is kind of campy, but also kind of actually scary. So here's what I'll say about that. So you said give it a few episodes, and I only gave it one, but the first episode, I think, opens with some infidelity and some like strong sexual tones, and I'm yeah. not really not about <laughs> that stuff so much, so I think that really turned me off to it. But generally speaking, I give any show I'm watching three episodes to prove itself because the first episode is usually a pilot and you yeah. can't judge so much from the pilot because they're very okay so you you are sometimes. saying that you did exactly what you say you don't do right so i'm saying this is the exception <laughs> is when i i usually give it three episodes but the themes were coming across such that i didn't want to deal with them like i think the first scene is actually him cheating on his wife isn't it yeah he cheats on his wife yeah so i'm like no sorry thanks okay but, but no. you have to get to the ghosts and the scary house and then I think also in the episode, there's an old lady, but he thinks she's a young redhead, and she's like yes, going nutso on herself. Oh, yeah. This is definitely getting the explicit tag for the week. We're, we're definitely we, earning right. that one. We're we, earning it. We put it. it up there you know, as a precaution, and now I think we're actually getting it. So Yes. No, yeah. There's definitely there's a, the, the maid who sometimes looks like young and sexy to him, but looks like an old hag to his wife. And you find out, oh, it's good. You've just got to watch it, Matt. Although the new season, I'm not sure I'm on board with yet. I don't know. So I haven't watched any films because I've been furiously grading essay oh my papers. God. I have a stack, and it's just sitting here on the table looking at me, judging me. Yeah, you do it by hand, which I can't understand. I do everything on the computer, and, oh, because I want to know if they're plagiarizing, right? <laughs> Right, I mean, but I have them sign, send it into the computer so that I Oh, can and you just kill trees for fun then? Yes, absolutely. Okay, all right. I'm well, a Luddite. Ethan's, I want Ethan's the... a tree killer, and here he is. Well. In any case, I didn't watch any films these last two weeks. Um, I have been watching some TV, but it's all been really crap TV. Uh, Food Network, Cutthroat Kitchen, Worst Cooks in America, <laughs> Celebrity Edition. Isn't that with Alton Brown? Yeah, Alton Brown is great for cutthroat kitchen but some of the competitors are it was their camp cutthroat they're like summer right tournament basically and they've there's someone who tries to do sounds like they've affected a harley quinn dialect speaking of dialect earlier right oh and that's it's really abysmal it's when some people pitch their voice a certain way so typically speaking and this is going to be gendered and i apologize but this is just my observation there are some women that will pitch their voice a lot higher than is probably what their normal register is and kind of infantilize themselves with that tone. And then conversely, there are a lot of men that I have met who will pitch their voice a lot lower to try to be more gruff or something. Really, I don't have that issue. My voice is probably a little closer to the former than the latter. But 
I see that a lot. And when I see that, it makes me cringe because I know those people are trying to hide behind something. Right. So I don't know. That's, you know, and then there's the situation from what Jersey Shore on Worst Cooks in America, Celebrity Edition. So I've been watching bad TV. I admit that, to it. Yeah, that does sound pretty bad. American, not American Idol. What's the other one called? America's Got Talent. That, oh, God. Uh, that ended recently. So finished. Good. But when I get home uh, from work, my wife gets home, we really don't want to watch something that's super involved. I mean, like we mentioned, we talked, we watched Stranger Things, and that was a good experience for both of us. But it's really harder for us to find a show we want to watch together. And she probably doesn't want to watch anime, so I can watch Pokemon Indigo League. How, nostal- how nostalgia trip by myself? How are you married? How am I married? Well, <laughs> that's actually a wonderful question. I think it had something to do with all that money I have, right? Oh, so rich! Right. English professor makes a lot of money. Yeah. Okay, no. so I think that about wraps up all that I've seen these last two weeks, and it's been it's been shy. I have read quite a bit more than I've watched these last two weeks. Mm. I've been reading The Expanse. You've heard about this? It's a science no. fiction um, saga. I think they're on book six now. Sci-Fi had picked up the show, The Expanse, back in October of last year. And despite it being sci-fi quality, you know, the, the sort of budget they have. Sure. It seemed very good. It was good, and I just finished the second one. And they're like 600, 700-page books, usually. And I just kind of ripped through this one. And I've also got a uh, a pretty collection of horror fiction. Uh, they've mixed a bunch of new stuff with old stuff. So there's like Ambrose Pierce, and then a bunch of newcomers, and Lovecraft, and then some mm-hmm. of the people we haven't heard about. So it's a nice little exposure to the field then and now. And I've read more than a few stories in that collection, but I got it at half price for ten bucks, and it is probably the prettiest copy I've seen of something like this. Mm-hmm. It just has a bunch of like shiny silver everywhere, and it's very well, very, very well done. So, mm. reading through that, and then also starting the conspiracy against the human race by Thomas Ligotti, and the reason I bring that one up is because that also connects to media in that that was what the creator of True Detective heavily cribbed mm. for the show. And I've I've read maybe 30 pages of it so far. And you can just see uh, Rust's lines coming through from there. So very much um, some talk about plagiarism, academic dishonesty. Uh, a little bit of that sprinkled in there. Is there anything else we want to get to before we get to our interview today? I don't know. I, calling it an interview seems very formal. You're right. Um, so, so you want to get to anything before we have our chat with Dr. Rich P. Cooper? Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> that just seems like a seems about right. Well, why don't we uh, jump over to that? Get him on the line. All right, I'll let him out him. of the cage. <laughs> Boy, this is getting. I didn't know American Horror Story is based on your your life, Ethan. <laughs> I think we'll we'll do this uh, not so formal interview, this chat, and we'll come back and sign off. So, hope you all get something out of it, and I'm sure we will as well. So, see you then. <laughs> Okay, so we are here with Dr. Rich P. Cooper. Rich, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to us? 
Uh, well, like I said, I'm Dr. Rich Cooper. I'm a professor of science fiction here at uh, Texas A&M University, and I'm glad to be here talking about Blade Runner. It's a film I've taught many times. So we wanted to bring you in, uh, one, because we, we know you, and we know you're an expert in these things, but specifically that latter part, the, the being an expert with Blade Runner, because last week we had our Blade Runner episode, and a lot of things were said on both sides, <laughs> and very little, I think, was resolved at the end. So if I could just recap my position of the film, and I'll give Ethan a chance to do his, I sort of came away with Blade Runner made it to the top 100 list of films because it has a great amount of environmental storytelling and it's very compelling with its practical effects but i didn't really find a whole lot gripping me with the actual plot itself and i think ethan may have had a different experience so ethan why don't you kind of give us your take a second time yes i like blade runner but i only like blade runner because i've seen it like five times because i did not really get it when i watched it the first time I guess it's worth mentioning that I've only seen Blade Runner once. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've been a so, bad, a bad uh, science well, fiction wait, connoisseur. Which cut are we talking about? Okay, that's a good point. So, <laughs> that's a great question. This, as far as we know, Ethan and I watched the same one. Everything was the same for us. And Ethan, what did we settle on? What was it exactly? It was just the the plain original... The the original theatrical cut. Oh, the original theatrical cut? So not yes. like no final yeah. cut, no director's cut. The original theatrical cut is terrible, though. Okay, great. <laughs> well, well, that's the one that's on the list. Yeah, it's on the list, so we just went with it because it didn't specify anything specific about it, which could have been an oversight on their part, and they actually might have seen a better version of Blade Runner, but as far as we know... No, I'm assuming wanted. it's the original theatrical cut. It has to be. With the voiceover and everything. Oh, yeah. With the, oh, right, we talked about this. Harrison Ford's really lazy, um, hey, it's disinterested. Me, Harrison Ford. And I think the reasoning was that somewhere I read that he never thought those were going to make it into the film. And so mm -hmm. he kind of just phoned them in. Yeah. Well, even those, those, I mean, they're just such a highly stylized film noir. And, like, I mean, in some ways it goes with the elements of the rest of the film that you're talking about, which it is this highly stylized film noir. But it also just kind of makes it feel stilted and old-fashioned even though yeah, it's sort right. of set in the future yeah which is something i think ethan talked about with it being this used what'd you call it it was a used future, used future. yeah yeah so i mean maybe that disjointedness makes some sense but i think you're right where it is this 19 whatever uh was it the 50s that noir was more popular well, the 20s and 30s is when they were often set yeah okay so 20 and 30s style with this futuristic dystopian world well, that kind of is jarring even the the dress if you look at a, i forget the actress's name her dresses and what she wears and the trench coat mm -hmm. and other things and i mean you know i don't know if you guys talked about it because obviously this is very involved in this detective fiction yeah and when it, and when it comes over to film it's like a uh, a sort of cheesy maltese falcon set in the future in some ways <laughs> right that makes a lot of sense to me we've made a good choice bringing you on very clearly <laughs> But at the same time, you know, I, I do, I was telling you before we even got on here that I do like the film version. I especially like the film version when it introduces uh, a lot of uh, uh, questions about whether or not Deckard is an android. And I think right. when we actually start getting into those questions that we're entering into uh, uh, what's for me a more interesting philosophical terrain 
Um, even more interesting than sort of Roy Batty's whole Frankenstein issue. I mean, the Frankenstein mm-hmm. issue is interesting. I like to see this manifestation. But I think the, the, the idea that he might be a, an android as well, that's the, that's the new one. That's the scary one. That's the yeah. Philip K. Dick idea. <laughs> yeah, so you just touched on two major points. So uh, to sort of make those explicit, the idea of Deckard being an android and then Roy Batty as the sort of Frankenstein's monster character. So which one do you want to dig into uh, first? I think both those really are worth getting into. Oh, yeah. Uh, well... Uh, I would have a lot more fun talking about the uh, the whether he's an android or not. So yeah, so if I remember, one. this is where Ethan and I had a lot of um, discussion last yes. week because I couldn't really find a whole lot of evidence in the first viewing, which we talked a lot about. With you know, what's the impression on the first view, and how important is that? How important is it that you watch something twice or read something twice? Right, because we all come from literary backgrounds, mm-hmm. and there's you know, something has to drive you to that second reading or that second viewing. And I really wasn't getting it. So I think most of that Android stuff was just sort of flung to the side for me. It never really came up, even though I'd never seen the film before. I had known that was something that was um, supposed to be on the table and I didn't really get any of it. Whereas Ethan, um, you know, walked me through this long chain of plot uh, devices or um, beats in the story that sort of pointed to that answer. So I'm interested to see what your what your read on that is. I mean, I, I'm kind of with you. It actually took me a number of viewings before I even got to the point where I realized what people were talking about when they suggested yeah. that he might be an android too. But then again, you know, the first time I saw this film, I was, what, six, seven, eight years old probably. <laughs> so I wasn't exactly picking up on that. And of course, I know it's more pronounced in the later versions. Um, uh, I think Ridley Scott preferred that. Uh, it's certainly a controversial interpretation, to say the least. Um, I mean, even after sort of being shown this line of facts, many people will still look at it and say, ah, I don't know, you're kind of stretching it a bit for me. Um, I think that's probably one way for me in which the, the, the sort of book comes in a little better is because it sort of overplays these. But I think the main bit of evidence, the only necessary bit of evidence in the film as a whole, is just the idea that your memories can be implanted. Yeah, right. So this is something we talked a great deal about with the photographs. Yes. Do you know they can do that now, right? Uh, No, I didn't. So sci-fi is reality now. We have the technology, yes. (laughs) (laughs) We can implant memories. So this sort of, you know, it's the question for all of us then, isn't Like, if we can create memories, how do you know that any of your memories are real. real? Right. And so now we're entering into the huge sort of uh, the skeptics dilemma, you know, um, sort of right. regressive realities all the way down. We can never tell if they're real. And right. Like the conversation was going on since the 1700s with, you know, Descartes and stuff like that. Yeah. How do we know there is this tangible world? How are we anchored to reality anyway? Are we brains and vats type questions? And that's that's a huge concern um, for Philip K. Dick. Right. And so, you know, talking about the novel is like this idea of it being a split reality comes through much more forcefully. Right. And so it comes through, of course, in there, there are two police stations and Rick Deckard, who works for one of the police stations as a bounty hunter, is arrested and taken in and told that they have no record of him being a bounty yeah. hunter at all until he realizes that this is a police station that's being run by androids. And my students never seem to pick it up, but this is the most sinister part of the entire novel because the real mystery 
of the novel, at least, for me. The real mystery is not hunting down these androids. The real mystery is the fact that the powers that be, the Rosen Association, so forth and so on, are working very hard to place androids into human society and to place in androids that cannot be distinguished from human beings, such as to sort of completely and quietly, that, you know, it's kind of scary, quietly erase that distinction. And as we move into our sort of, you know, post-human technological future and can implant memories and erase memories with you know it's a, it's a serious question it's a, i mean it's a, it's one of the ways for sure philip k dick is what you know he's a prophet in a lot of ways mm-hmm. yeah he's a phenomenal writer and he deals with a lot of deep philosophical issues i think i've read four or five of his books now and they all are very difficult sometimes for me to wrap my head around mm-hmm. but i think do androids dream of electric sheep is in fact the one I've had the most difficulty with. I remember reading it and just putting it down and saying, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, (laughs) There's that moment where he kind of, what is it? It's been a while since I've read the film, but they have these like viewing stations that they log into. And then you're just like climbing a mountain. um, Mm, Yeah. The empathy box. And then doesn't he like fall into a hellscape toward the end of it? Okay. Well, you're getting it a little into a part that's, just not not in the film at all, which right, is the storyline involving Wilbur Mercer. And Wilbur Mercer is the god of the sort of post-apocalyptic planet we find ourselves on. And it's sort of, he's a Jesus figure. In his lifetime, he had an amazing ability, you know, to bring back the dead, sort of Lazarus story. For his abilities, he was persecuted, cast down into sort of like the, 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 the other world, the hell world, as you were saying. And he sort of climbs out of it and the difference, of course, is that with the empathy box, as you hold the handles, you're entered into a virtual reality in which you share the experience of uh, that Wilbur Mercer had. And so from a Christian perspective, if we're thinking about sort of Christ's story, it'd be almost as if it, through a virtual reality, you could experience the passion of the Christ. And I don't mean sort of stand by and empathize with Christ, that's easy enough to do with films, but actually sort of be in his position and doing these things and feeling these things. And that's, uh, well, that's intense. To say Which, speaking yeah. of our dystopian future, right, VR is now something you can have, public commodity, you can have it. And well, absolutely. Sure, we could have a Passion of Christ game, and sure enough, we could also be there. So, uh, interesting questions. We're getting good at, we're good at the, the tactile part of virtual reality mm. and uh, a lot of the a lot of the progress in that is being done in places like DARPA where they're creating artificial limbs they now have people with you know artificial limbs they can control with their mind but they also have a sense of touch in those artificial limbs so right as these as these technologies get more and more progressed and I imagine as they get more and more invasive as they sort of directly targeting the centers of our brain that are responsible for these sorts of reactions it's only going to get more intense, but it, the real question, I think, what Dick is at ahead of his time is sort of this collapse of the distinction between the virtual and the real. That the virtual, and especially in the novel, is just as real as anything else. And so I think he wants us to end, you know, sort of, is Rick Deckard an android? The book doesn't ask that, but the book suggests that everyone is an android. There's no one above suspicion, like no one at all. And so it's much mm-hmm. sort of darker in that way but then there's the hope at the end in the form of wilbur mercer and uh the toad right you can't we have to talk about rick deckard finds the toad in the oregon wilderness right he thinks it's a real toad he's very excited and he sort of brings a new gospel of mercer is what i tend to call it in my class this idea that uh 
even the paltry electric things are important, you know, I think he uses that line. And so that hope, uh, I guess to sort of way back into you guys' first question, sorry I'm talking a little while here, but um, that hope uh, actually in some ways makes, the, the lack of hope in the film makes it better for me. <laughs> yeah, say a little bit about that. Why, so I think all of what you said is correct, that which I can directly speak to, and uh, but I'm curious how that makes its way into the film because when I had watched the film, I was like, have they even read the book? And this, of course, is the original theatrical release, so <laughs> I might be missing a lot of that uh, subtext, but having only seen it once as well. But I couldn't find that much concrete stuff connected to, but mm-hmm. you're making a convincing argument, so I want to see how that manifests in the film for you. Well, I guess I guess I think the film is better in its lack of hope because I think those sort of... Uh, uh, I wouldn't say nihilistic entirely, but it is sort of nihilistic tendency that the film might be a little more fitting to our time and age. And so that's just a question of time period. And so the, the, the book is written in 1968. I think that's mm-hmm. right. And so in 1968, just things were going on. You know, I mean, Philip K. Dick was not religious, but he certainly was. I mean, this is four years before his famous episode. You, got, you, know, you know about his famous episode. Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, so. uh, Ethan, you do you know this? Uh, he goes crazy, doesn't he? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the short <laughs> of it. Sure. <laughs> I mean, he, th- he thinks he's God or something, right? Close. Okay, so here's what it is. So he goes to a dentist appointment. Easy enough. He, you know, he's already a little crazy. He does tons of amphetamines. He's super paranoid. He wrote all yeah. his letters to the FBI, things like that, right? So at any rate, in 72, uh, what is it, February to March. And he does, uh, he gets a sodium pentothal injection, which as you know is, is way more common. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and so, anyway, he comes out of the dentist's office, and the first thing he reports seeing is sort of a, a pink beam of light coming down from the heavens, and it sort of descends upon him. And for the next two months, he lives a, two realities he lives in. And so in one reality, he's Philip K. Dick, writer who lives in California, you know, etc. But in his other reality, which he's living simultaneously, he's a Christian in, in the first A.D. Rome who's being persecuted by the Romans. And so he's sort of living both of these lives at the same time. And if you look at all of his works, even at the very beginning, there's this idea of this sort of like split in reality and that split in reality i think causes a great deal of of problems for philip k dick he doesn't know how to handle it and with a sort of 50s 60s mindset i think he handles it with religion and i mean you know he wouldn't be the only person to sort of face that sort of like skeptics dilemma right we can't tell if any of it was real so you might as well believe in something we fast forward to what is it 80 81 the film blade runner I think 81. 81, right. And so fast forward to like the beginning of the the Reaganite era, right? An era that is going to be marked by sort of nihilism and corporations and greed and all these other things that's still with us today, but also the beginning of, you know, the internet. And so what's actually happened is just an acceleration of this split that, that, that Dick, he felt because he was a paranoid schizophrenic, right? But he still mm-hmm. predicted that in our culture, we were moving more and more towards this split. But it's manifesting now as a split between the virtual and the real. And I think because the film is so ambiguous about its answer to that question, 
is why it's a cult favorite because it, it it sticks with us because we I think for the most part feel pretty ambiguous ourselves about the answer to that question sort of what is real is what is not especially as it's being modified by these technologies and that came out pretty good so I'll stop there yeah I, <laughs> you you sold me completely I think on on this I think I need to to vacate my, uh, my role as co-host of this podcast just give it to you but uh, so that. I'm reminded of that ending scene. I'm reminded of a couple things, rather. Uh, I So I've read A Scanner Darkly, and this sounds a lot like what he's talking about with the main character of A Scanner Darkly. Um, you know, undercover agent and also druggie, and then dissociative identities between these two. So he is paranoid of himself often in that book. And it's done incredibly well and incredibly fascinating. I love that book. Uh, but in the film, Blade Runner, at the end where he's driving and the sun has finally shown for what it feels like the first time in the film. And you think, oh, everything's solved, right? Um, you've ca- you shine a whole new light on that for me in that we are asking ourselves um, what we want to believe in. You mentioned you kind of have to make a choice. And if we can't reconcile those, then we're, we're asking ourselves to believe in something. And so you can believe Deckard you know, gets, gets away from it and lives this sort of like happy halcyon uh existence or that this is this is another part of a a deception on himself that the film is playing on Mm us so ethan what is this how does this affect you i feel like this is kind of uh changing my whole mind about the film yeah i mean well I'm with Rich. I mean, I was with Rich at the beginning. So. Oh, so you you were already enlightened. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, I you know, I I think it's the we talked about it in the podcast for last week. I mean, that's the the interesting part of the film is right is he a, is he a robot or not? Um, or okay, an Android, excuse so me. then then the interesting question for me then becomes, and this might be me reiterating something I've said earlier, but what clues are we given? for the viewer to to get that read do we require all of the subtext so do we have to be uh caught up with dick himself ridley scott's vision mm-hmm. the political cr- uh, climate at the time of yeah. its creation and do we do we suss it out of that or are we can we in the enclosed um universe of the film so our, our viewing we sit down we watch the film can we get there yeah i think so because i have not read the novel Clearly, my Philip K. Dick knowledge is not up to snuff, um, and that that was my big thing, right? We've got to thought we we have to ask the question of whether or not he's an android. Um, so I think you can. I mean, certainly, I more context is always better, uh, but I think you can get there without all of the, you know. <sighs> All the pieces, all of the, maybe the critical. Yeah, all, you don't necessarily need all the pieces. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I I do think I do did a lot of work there to to sort of get there, and I think you know that kind of work is contextual and necessary almost. But if we're talking about just sort of, uh, you know, I'm trying to go back to 1981. You know, I'm sort of average Joe. I'm gonna go down to the movies, and I heard about this new sci-fi film. You know, and I heard I like this guy Harrison Ford. I've seen him, so I'm gonna go check it out. Like. Am I going to probably get to the idea of the ambiguity in the theatrical version? I would I would say no. Um, in fact, I think part of it is in the theatrical version is sort of purposely designed to not take right. you there. 
because yeah. it's Hollywood and they wanted a Hollywood script, especially when we're talking about science fiction. I mean, they spend so much money on the special effects for these things mm-hmm. that they want it to sell. And so they're going to sort of, we don't want people to think about things. Because even when I teach Philip K. Dick, right, people go, oh, I don't know. And it, and it just, they have trouble. And they don't want to see that in films, at least a Hollywood film. Especially, you know, like I said, right, the, the budgets for these are enormous. So they want to pay mm-hmm. for these things. And that starts an interesting story that you can't help but follow if you're talking about this film. Because then we're talking about just the various battles over which version is the most authentic version of right. this film. And I think this gets me to the question of art versus spectacle. So you mentioned Hollywood and selling versus, you know, average Joe getting to this meaning of what is the virtual, what is the real. And the way he plays into that is really interesting, right? But it's also unseen. So he can't even see himself as a piece of that machinery. So this gets us to a large question. This might be too broad of a question for us to answer. Uh, But between art and spectacle, it seems like this film then is being pulled by both sides both by artistic vision and then the hollywood consumerism this needs to sell and that's why we paid so much for our practical effect and i think there's an answer to to maybe that split in the you know art versus spectacle or substance versus spectacle clearly spectacle is not enough because the as rich said the uh uh the whatchamacallit fuck i mean I, I can't think of the word the <laughs> theatrical cut the yeah. theatrical cut sucks right it's not it's not good and it's not pleasant the first time around as we've we've sort of claimed on this uh podcast and so the spectacle isn't enough there you need and that's why you need to watch if you're gonna watch the theatrical cut you need to watch it uh, several times to figure out what the hell's happening because there's so much focus on the spectacle. But if that spectacle is not enough, how do you get to watch it a second time? How does that how does that first viewing stimulate the second? Peer pressure. Okay, so <laughs> it comes down to a social thing then. No, I yeah, I think probably. The cult, I mean, the that's why following. I watched it again. I was like, everybody talks about how great this movie is. Mm-hmm. I, may, I should just watch it again. I'll just give. I'll try it again. Why? Why not? I, you know. I mean, I've had students who hated it. Hated it. Yeah. They thought it was the worst acting they'd ever seen in their lives. <laughs> Which I'm just, you're wrong. You're wrong. Like, he's acting like an emotionless robot. It's all awesome. Yeah. It's absolutely awesome. So, uh, but, I, you know, the split you guys talking about, the, the, the art and spectacle, I mean, it's, uh, it's almost a truism in science fiction film criticism that any science fiction film you, you uh, watch is sort of treading this line between the, the spectacle yeah. and the art piece. And that, you know, because of all these pressures of special effects, etc., right, they want a certain kind of story that's going to be a big blockbuster, and they don't want as much of the, the, the sort of heady stuff. I don't I mean, I don't think that's true. I mean, I think that definitely has changed a lot recently, and I think there's a lot better fare out there as far as mm-hmm. science fiction goes. That might have to do with sort of the, the letting up, but even if you look at the, the big blockbusters, well, I guess that might change soon. There's that, the newer film coming out with the, the Linguist. Do you guys know that one, which one I'm talking about? Yeah, I think I heard about something. She's a linguist, and she has contact with another alien. So it looks pretty awesome. You know, it looks like heady stuff, right? Like, it looks great. Um, also based on a based on a short story, I believe. But uh, you know, just historically, this split has been a huge deal, and you know, critics of this talk about you know, for example, Kubrick's two thousand one uh, Space Odyssey, right. which had you know amazing special effects for the time. 
But then, of course, if you listen to the conversation, it's, it's also just banal and boring at the same time. The actual words coming out of people's mouths sometimes. Yeah. And the, the argument is that he sort of did this on purpose to sort of like ironically call attention to this sort of thing that happens with science fiction. That it becomes more and more banal as you spend more and more money on the special mm -hmm. effects. So we'll actually get to 2000, A Space Honesty, 2001, sorry, A Space Honesty, um, in what, two and a half years, Ethan? I think we'll... Geez, yeah, we'll it's a ways there. up the list. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really interested yeah. uh, to see that and having your, your read sort of preface that film, I think will be really useful for us. Mm -hmm. um, so we just tread some deep waters, fellas. Uh, I don't know about our listeners, but... I mean, this oh, is they're all, all asleep. They're, they're all asleep. I don't know about asleep. Gotten rid of their phones. Well, they, I guess <laughs> since us, all of us are academics in some variety of the the term, right? And um, so this is this is kind of like the thing that stimulates me the most. Like I really enjoy these conversations, but I I fear that this episode will become three hours long if we do so, and then everyone's <laughs> going to sign. All of our listeners are going to um, unsubscribe from right. our feed. But if they I, haven't already, if they <laughs> haven't already, but this this has been fantastic, and I think I am willing to watch Blade Runner a second time. I don't think I would try the other watch cuts. the theatrical release. Yes, exactly. I think I'll see. It's the final cut, isn't it? Is the well, one there's, that there's um, a theatrical directors and final. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the director, I think, is not endorsed by Ridley Scott, and no. the final is? Yes. <laughs> okay, so um, I'll watch the final cut. Also, it's called Blade Runner, and you have a final cut. It, it's just, it just feels right, you know? So I'm, I'm willing right. to try that, and I, I think I'll watch it again, and maybe a couple intermissions from now I can talk about uh, my, my re-experience with Blade Runner or my new experience with Blade Runner. Yes. You will like it eventually. Yeah, I mean, because you're telling me, right? Both of you are telling me I should, so I think I will because the peer pressure. Pure pre See, it's social pressure. I told you. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard to be socially pressured from this isolated booth I work and live in, um, but it, it gets through. I think it might open you to a whole new genre of film. There's a sort of sub-genre of science fiction, film noir, where they meet up, and this is sort of just scratching the surface of that genre, and there's a lot of good stuff, especially if we go back to... Godard and Alphaville and things like that, you know, that are very much in this vein. So there's actually a tradition of this subgenre. So, you know, something to consider. Well, whenever someone presents like a new avenue of learning for me, I always get incredibly excited. I I take that to be somewhat of our impetus for this podcast is to provide some avenues. And now I'm realizing we're doing a, a horrific job <laughs> because hearing hearing Rich talk about these things, um, I realize how uh, how banal we must sound to oh, people. No. Even. <laughs> it can't Thanks, be Rich. It You've ruined our podcast. It can't be that bad. Great. <laughs> I've had a great conversation. So it's been this has been riveting for me. I hope it has been for our audience. I wish I could hear more from Ethan, though. Well, shit, you guys talked about the book of all the whole damn time. I haven't read the damn book. <laughs> that is true. Ethan has never read a book in his life. <laughs> no, I don't even barely know how to read. And that's why we do a film podcast, not a literature podcast. Right. I'll have to talk to Rich off off uh, recording about a literature podcast, and then right. We'll, we'll so next time, Rich, don't fucking read books before you come to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> In all seriousness, though, I really appreciate you coming on, Rich. It's been really great. I think Thank you. Um, I got a lot out of this. I know our our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. Ethan's going to learn to read eventually. Eventually, um, I'll try. 
But thanks for your time, and I'd like to keep checking in with you. Sure, uh, absolutely. I, like for 2001 Space Odyssey. Yes, I would love we need to, to talk. have you back. Any and all science fiction, I'm usually uh, I'm there. <laughs> I need everyone to just sit down, digest all of the words of wisdom Rich has given us, because as I have decided just now, he is the new Mercer. He's the new prophet of science fiction. <laughs> so just listen to him. And uh, Rich, is there anything that you want to plug for yourself that you're doing that uh, uh, people can check out or find you or anything? Um, they can find me online. I just, you know, I'm writing. And uh, when it's out, it'll be out. But until then. <laughs> All right. So stay plugged in, guys, because uh, Rich P. Cooper, Dr. Rich P. Cooper, Dr. Rich Cooper, Texas Dr. Rich P. Cooper, Ph.D. Esquire. Esquire, gentleman <laughs> and a scholar. And a scholar. And a prophet of science fiction. He'll be on the internet. Do you have Twitter, Rich? Uh, yeah, I have a Twitter account. Do you want to plug it, yeah. whatever it is? Uh, I don't really go on it too often, but... Uh... Oh, okay. I don't know. I feel like people on podcasts are always like, oh, look at our Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, tweet at me. <laughs> And, yeah, no, I have to get, have I have to get account, more connected. But... It's it's for a science fiction professor. It's uh, it's kind of sad. <laughs> I think the more we we kind of delve into science fiction, the more we the more we want to enclose ourselves off from that crazy, scary, dystopian world that yeah. exists outside. <laughs> yes, <of us>. yes. <laughs> yes. But I think with that positive note, we'll we'll call it here. Rich, right. thanks again for coming on, yep. Ethan. Thanks, Rich. I'll right. teach you to read next episode. Uh, yeah. But everyone, this has been There Will Be Spoilers Intermission Edition, by far our best one. Uh, don't judge us too harshly when we fail your expectations <laughs> next week. Uh, Ethan, what is our next film? Our next film is Do the Right Thing. Ooh. Yeah, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. We had yes. a great Excellent time with film. that one. I hope everyone tunes in. I got a lot out of that. It was really interesting. Yes, And it's I great. think some of the same questions we raised here today um, get brought up again. So... Maybe it's something in the water. Are you more mad about Radio Raheem or Sal's Pizzeria? <laughs> pizzeria! Right. Well, Ethan probably is pizzeria because he loves to say the word pizzeria. Because he says, he never says pizza, he says pizza. Get him a pizza. Get a, it's the pizzeria. So I had to apologize to our audience again because that's going to happen all next episode. And I just love to eat pizza. <laughs> uh, well, in any case, guys, thanks for listening. And I'm Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And our guest... Dr. Rich Cooper. All right. And there will be spoilers. There will be spoilers! There Will Be Spoilers was hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. We were produced by Matt Bazell. Our music is by the enigmatic Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find his music all over the internet. Google him. Our artwork was by Becca Knight. You can follow her on Twitter at... Becca the Knight with a K, or you can find her website at nightdraws.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. You can follow us on Facebook at There Will Be Spoilers. And you can shoot us an email if you want at spoilerscast at gmail.com. We plan on answering emails on our off week podcast, so be sure to send in your questions or comments. And finally, please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and or SoundCloud review us, please. Thanks for listening.